Powered by Go Goat Sports in partnership with TSN, this is episode 33 of season four of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast. And it is presented, as always, by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey. We've got Chris Abbott coming off a pretty big weekend of watching wildcard football, putting some money down, making some money, probably losing some money. We'll get into the Dallas-Tampa Bay game, but you know, and this is a hockey podcast, so we don't invest a ton of time in the other sports. But obviously, when we have Chris Abbott from Botano on, Ray, we, we have to talk about the big games of the weekend. And there were a few. I'm not a super huge NFL guy, but I'm a fan, right? And I, I, I enjoy the routine of the weekend, especially on, on Sunday. You know, you kick back and watch the afternoon game, and that drags you into the evening game. And then you're looking forward to the Monday nighter, which was... Dallas and Tampa Bay. It for me, and I don't know how you feel about this. It it's isn't it what makes sport great? Like the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, how fired up everybody is. Even guys like you who are there on the sidelines working it. But it applies to football this time of year. It applies to baseball during the run to the World Series, and on and on it goes. Uh, playoff sports. sports. Playoff yeah. sports are awesome. I mean, the immediacy and the urgency of the, you know, the out games. You know, football, yeah. of course, has the one and out. But when you when you see a series rolling along and you're like, oh, boy, this is the one here. This is the one game that matters the most. And I just love it. I mean, this this weekend, you can just see the way the games went. You can see why yeah. the NFL is a colossus <laughs> like it is. It is the first three games of the weekend were ridiculous. Well, the Jacksonville game was just flat out bonkers, but like the, crazy, and the and the comebacks and the yeah change of leads and the the Jacksonville game. Though I mean that that thing was two completely different games, and um, hard to hard to not be enthused by it. That's for sure. It was awesome. You know, Good watching. We don't see just we'll get to headlines here momentarily, but that's some we see comebacks all the time in hockey. So I'm not going to to try and pit the NFL versus the NHL per se, but how could you equate so Trevor Lawrence throws four interceptions in the first half. Like they're down at one point twenty-seven, nothing, right. and then they charge back to win that. Like what? I mean, would it be? Five, I've got one. Drags nothing. I've, I've okay. got one for you. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I like it. If it were today, because media is much bigger and much more expansive. Yeah. When the LA Kings are down five nothing to the Edmonton Oilers, and they have oh, the miracle oh. on Manchester and score five goals in the third period. Daryl Evans scores the winner and does that wild celebration down the ice. <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. Like, you can't do that, except it did, right? Like, you yeah, can't score five goals against the Oilers at that time. And, you know, it wasn't like nobody was in net. You know, Grant Fuhrer was in net. And it, I mean, it was amazing. So that's the type of, and I think, no, it wasn't. It was game four because they had to go back for game five. But, I mean, the difference is, of course, is if Lawrence and the Jags don't, you know, put their stuff together they're they're done for the year and yeah man he's good he is good it's here's the best well not the best part i enjoy this about sport is that the people that are hitting him over the head with a garbage can lid last year and the year before and say the guy sucks it's a terrible first overall pick yada 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 and oh now all of a sudden the guy's a superstar yeah yeah where'd you go now yeah it's okay to say hey i was wrong there but doesn't happen you have to be mentally fearless to excel in that position especially i mean you can say that about a lot of different positions in sport 
but just feels like hmm. if he hasn't turned the corner and a game like that can certainly help you turn that corner, I'm with you, man. I, I mean, as good as he is in the moment, he's lights out good. Well, but it makes the, me the other guy this weekend, right? The other guy this weekend, it's and you know, we can equate it all to all kinds of hockey players is Matt Jones, the, the Giants quarterback. A year yeah, and a half ago, yeah. people are like, Oh, what a wasted pick. I don't think this guy can be a starter quarterback. I don't think he can be a Daniel, star. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he was unbelievable on the weekend. So I don't yeah. know. It's what makes part of what makes sports great, I think. All right, headlines once again this season presented by our friends at Boston Pizza. And obviously, Ray, we we have to start with what's gone on and going on in Vancouver. Jimmy Rutherford, president of the organization, has media availability on Monday. We're taping this Tuesday morning. Um, Part of it was designed to address the medical concerns, the allegations around the Tanner Pearson surgeries, more than one, more than two, that he's had to correct the issues with his, with his hand, but everyone in the organization, the media, the fan base knew, including Rutherford, that this media veil was going to turn into something much more significant than that, right? You're past the midpoint of the season. Normally, it's your general manager who sits, sits in there, you know, as part of the midseason and looks back and then looks ahead. In this case, because of all of the angles and stories, Rutherford felt his responsibility to do this. I thought he was very candid. I thought he was very open and very honest. I mean, we can kind of peel this thing away, but he he said a couple of things first, Gray. One, he when he said when he arrived, he thought it was minor surgery required. Like they were going to do some things. They were going to have to fix their salary cap pressures and, and, and stuff like that. But now he looks back and says, no, no, major surgery is required in what is a retool, not a rebuild, but a retool. Tool. What does that what does that mean to you when you hear those phrases and how he has put all of this together as he looks forward to multiple changes, not just at change, but multiple changes in many different areas? Ninety five percent of the time, um, I think it's semantics and I think it doesn't matter. And I really don't care what what word a manager or a president uses, retool, rebuild, refurbish, repolish the crap. Like whatever it is, right? Like who cares? It's just, it's a word, it's a term. And of course, everything gets dissected and broken down. The reason I say 95% of the time is because sometimes there are really good teams and what they do need is a little bit of a refurbish or a retool. Mm -hmm. They need not much. You watch the Canucks coming into the year. Most people felt their defense wasn't going to be good enough. And through 45 games, they've proven that to be correct. So people say, well, just blow it up and rebuild. No. Great idea. Hell of an idea. However, if you can't get other teams to take the contracts you'd like to move, then how do you do it? You can't push people into the into the Pacific Ocean. You yeah. have contracts to honor. They have no trades and or other teams aren't interested or don't have room more consequently to take on those contracts. Mm-hmm. So you're stuck. In, and Rutherford got into that where he said, we can't move contracts. And if we can't move them by the deadline, we're going to have to look at buying some people out over the summer. Now, I would look specifically at the Minnesota Wild. They felt they needed to gut the inside of the locker room because they needed to turn the room over to two or to two or four or six young guys, you know, Mm -hmm. to have a new leadership core. But they couldn't do that with Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi still there. So they bought them out. 11 million on the cap Mm -hmm. this year, 14 million on the cap next year. Mm -hmm. Like 
The only way that can happen is if you have younger players on entry-level deals that can come up and play for you. They went out, they got Sam Steele, who was first-round pick by Anaheim. Anaheim, yeah. Yeah, washed out there, didn't work. Comes in now, he's he's playing with, a lot of the time, he's playing with Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Oh, how's that? How about Matt yeah, Boldy? Well. Matt Boldy, they just signed him to a seven-year, $49 million extension on his entry-level contract. That's how you can balance the two out. So refurbish, retool, rebuild. To me, it's the way the Canucks look today is not the way they can look in October. It just can't. Right, right. And and clearly- And however you get there, Drakes, it's not irrelevant. People are interested in it. But if it can be through trade, it'll be through trade. And if it can't, it'll be with something else. Yeah. And I mean, look, I mean, that's the business of- of hockey now, right? With a with a salary cap. And that's going to change in the years to come, but it, it's not going to change quick enough. So management is is going to have to drill down. And as Rutherford said, they're committed to doing that. So I want to take you back to post-shootout win, Vancouver over Carolina. And, and Bo Horvat, captain of the Vancouver Canucks, I thought did an exceptional job of fielding the questions at that point, acknowledging guys in the room hear the noise. They hear it. You know, how can you not hear it? And and he acknowledged that, you know, the coach, Bruce Boudreaux, clearly, clearly hears it. Now, Rutherford talked about this as part of his avail. I don't recall a president at this point of a season openly talking about having conversations with potential coaching candidates while they still have a full-time NHL coach on the bench in Bruce Boudreaux. So that was a bit strange to me. And look, everybody's speculating on on Rick Tockett and what's his situation with TNT. Can he get out in, in under four weeks? All of that. That'll play itself out. But I want to go back to the post-game comment from Horvat after the Carolina game where he says, quote, we continue to battle for him, being Boudreaux, He's a really good person and a good coach. Everybody wants to play for him, so we're going to continue to do that. Now, if he were a veteran player, Ray, I would listen, and I would think it's the honorable and the right thing to do, but he's a captain of the Vancouver Canucks. He's not saying that to pay lip service so that you know the pestering media goes away, right? Paul Horvat is saying it because he feels that way. He believes that, whether others in the room do or don't. He speaks on behalf of the players. So do we learn anything from that? Or is this just a veteran player sticking up for a guy who's been kicked in the shins about a hundred different ways? I think it's that here. I'll tell you this from being in a locker room. I, I was in them for 18 years professionally and umpteen years prior to that. Never once, not once, was there ever a discussion of, hey, should we keep playing hard for this guy? Never mm-hmm. once. Not once. Yeah. Quite frankly, it's it's a team, but it is really an individual business. All pro sports are because you're trying to survive. And so if the, you know, you can feel badly about how everything plays out, you better look after your business. Or if they decide to make a coaching change, you're going to be on the next train too. Like that, mm-hmm. that's just how it works. So Dregs, I, look, I, I saw Bull Horvat in Florida. I was, you know, I was down at the scouting meetings and ran across a bunch of the Canucks. I saw him and Brock Besser and, you know, they're walking around. I was there with Cammy. I got nothing to do. I'm just kind of walking around and I run mm-hmm. into these guys and they're, they all, you can just see in their body, they wear it. Like it's not yeah. just in the three hours of the rink. They wear it, man. Like it, mm-hmm. this is a hard year for them. And all they can do is the best they can for themselves and thereby for the team. Like if you're Bo Horvat, you can't score more goals. So Oliver Ekman Larson defends better. 
Right. Like Oliver Ekman Larson has to get his game in order. That's why I say it's like independent contractors playing together. So what Horvat has to stand up there as the captain and, you know, and, and take a few body blows and it's a, and it's not easy. And he's done a terrific job. The toughest part of this, as I watch it is like, there is a conclusion to this and everybody can see where it's going. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice if it happened, you know, and if, and that's likely going to be a coaching change, but if it would happen sooner rather than later, and you just kind of outlined some of the factors, if it is Rick Tockett, the contract with TNT apparently has got some weeks that he has to give mm-hmm. notice. So TNT doesn't go to broadcast and the chairs open. So they, you know, they, they've got to work their way around that too. So it's a complicated deal. At the start of the year, we, we heard a lot about the Canucks don't want to pay three coaches, right? Like that was at the very yeah. start of the year. Yeah. And don't, and don't forget back in June, there was an out here for there both was. sides. Yeah. Or rather for Boudreaux first, I believe, right? The yeah. Canucks would have still yeah. had to pay Bruce if they were going to fire him, but it Bruce have left and gone to another team. But clearly there wasn't another team that was available because who's going to come back under these circumstances unless you really have to. Yeah. And he's, he's doing the best he can. The The team is pretty much what the team was thought of to be. And now you got to get back to trying to make it work because I would say all the deals you wanted to make in the summer of last year, are still mm-hmm. the deals you want to make now. However, looking around the league, can you even think of a trade? Like I, I in the moment, uh, here, no, I can't. No, no, no. And like, I mean, it's the start of the year. I can't think of any. Yeah, I mean, the Canucks made a couple early, oh. right? Like, super early. Well, um, Travis Dermott was last year. No, no. Oh, they uh, made Jason Austin. Dickinson for Stillman. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, and like... Stagnica, yeah, I mean, it's... There's not much happening. There's next to nothing happening on the trade front, which, as you know, is in part because of the parody that everybody, not everybody, but most around the NHL head office celebrate as being a great thing. But if you're a team that's looking for change... It's not such a great thing. Yeah, I mean, how much, you know, How if, if you've got three nickels to spend, it's pretty tough yeah. when everybody's offering you a player with four nickels. You can't make a fit, man. <laughs> All right, we'll move away from Vancouver, but, you know, quick thought on just the presence of Gino Ojic, mm. right? You know, just such a, I, I don't know if it's fair, you know, we overuse the term when we think of the position and the role that Gino played in the National Hockey League. Beloved Vancouver Canuck is, is stating the obvious here. Gentle Giant? I don't know, maybe part of the time it fits with him, but just such a presence in the community, right? Like he, so, you know, his passing has hit a lot of people, understandably and, and appreciably. So, you know, why don't you provide a thought on, on Gino and, and what he was like in the community around Vancouver, the NHL community? And, you know, in his day, man, he was fierce. He was fierce. He was fierce and he could play. Yeah. You know, like he could, he could play like when, you know, that was a time when there were guys on the ice that were, they really weren't very good players, but they, man, they were tough. Gino could play and, and nobody really on the toughness scale was wandering by Gino going, no, I don't worry about him. Like he, he was fearsome. I will say this from a guy that's small. I never really worried about anything dirty in the game with Gino. Like I, I never did. You always, you always had an eye on those guys in case they they felt it was time for them to make a statement and you happened to be in the wrong place. Um, you know, and they would just run right over top of you. Like, he, you know, somebody like Gino could go over me like a speed bump. He wouldn't even notice, right? But that was not the way he played. If you got within six feet of Pavel Bure, look out. 
because <laughs> here comes Gino. But that's Gino on the ice. I, I don't know if you've seen the footage of his penalty shot goal against Mike Vernon. I did, yeah. And if yeah. people that are listening, go to YouTube and dial it up. And of course, the feed is grainy and all that stuff. But when he is getting ready to shoot and then scores, the building explodes. And the celebration from like the guy, there's guys standing on the bench watching, like not on the ground, they're on the bench. And he's, it's just like, it's the most beautiful thing to watch. In the community, Gino, uh, you see as his passing became more public, people talking about an interaction they had with him. And it is remarkable and it is widespread. One guy tweeted out, he, you know, he remembers back to being a 10 year old kid and they'd play basketball at this community center. And every so often, Gino would show up and just play with these kids, just play basketball with them. Later on, he was at the Musqueam Golf Course here in Vancouver. Gino would just go out and be the marshal for the day. Could you imagine you're playing slow and Gino rolls up in a golf cart? It tells you to get moving. Like, But there's it's time and again, and he was proud of his heritage, proud of him, yeah. proud of his team. I read this. I didn't know this, that the reason he wore number 29. Did you know that? No. That it was his father's number at the residential school. I did not know that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known it. Oh. But just, he is a legendary figure in the Vancouver Canucks history. Yeah. And, you know, you see, you hear a lot, oh, he won't be forgotten. No chance. Gino touched way too many people in way too many, a positive way. And at 52, it is really, really sad. Difficult loss. Obviously, our condolences to Gino's family. He will be missed. No doubt about that. Let's shift gears here, right? Tough transition as as we look at, you know, some of the Alberta teams here, Edmonton and, and Calgary. But Evander Kane appears ready to return. He's not going to remedy all the issues that, you know, seemingly plague Edmonton to a point, the inconsistency, their defensive woes, all of that. But what sort of bump, what sort of bump do you think Kane will give the oil? If if I couple this with the season that Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having, mm-hmm. this gives the Oilers all kinds of options about how to align their forwards. Play McDavid and Dryside all together, play them apart. And if you play them apart, now you've got this three-headed monster up the middle of the ice with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins. If Nugent Hopkins is your two center, that's been very effective. But you got to couple it with adding Kane, who is big and he scored and clearly fits there. He clearly fits in Edmonton. I did the Oilers game in Seattle, Dregs, just right before the new year. And in in talking to Jay Woodcroft, um, asked him, you know, like defensively, you guys were so good at the end of last year and not so good right now. And he felt that it was almost like that style is really hard to play. And in September and October and November, they could play it for sort of portions of the season. And his hope was, and what he was seeing was they were starting to get to it on a more consistent basis. basis. And that's when you come back on the puck, like you come back as fast as you go the other way. And it's hard to do. You can say, oh, it's your job. Do it all the time. It's hard to do that. Physically, your body just... (laughs) doesn't answer the call sometimes. (laughs) And so he felt they were getting there. It will be interesting to to see now as they get closer to the deadline, what are they going to add to what I think is going to be a pretty good team. Now, it looks like Jack Campbell's, you know, 
come back to being what Jack Campbell should be. And that's a, you know, a, a quality NHL goaltender, Stu Skinner. Congratulations to him and his wife as yeah. they had their baby. And yeah. while, while he was away, Campbell got a bunch of starts in a row. So now all of a sudden the Oilers have two goalies again. Yeah. And yeah. I think they're going to be fine. Uh, all of a sudden Calgary start the score goals, yeah. which, you know, kind of was sort of a surprise that they weren't scoring anything at the start of the year. And so, oh yeah, that leaves Colorado in ninth place. And they're, uh, they're Colorado's making, again. Colorado's making yeah. playoffs. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree they, with that. They are, they're just, they're just too good. And all of a sudden they get untracked a little bit. If they yeah. get a little scoring from the middle of their and bottom end of their lineup, and they're going to get Byron back quick. They're going to get Manson back quick. Nachuskin played last night. This team's a playoff team. But that's fine to say that, but then somebody's got to come out. And Winnipeg and Dallas aren't coming back to the pack. I mean, nope. as we're recording, Winnipeg is the top team in the Western Conference. And 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 Dallas is right there. I mean, there are a number of teams that are in that mix. Mm. I'm not you know, expecting Winnipeg to, to win the Western Conference. But it's shaping up in the West. You know, it took some time here to get just past the midpoint of the season, but we are seeing some of the storylines from these bigger clubs kind of uh, develop here. So, well, um, one thing I would say, Drake, to that is, yeah, yeah. there's nowhere to hide in an 82 game schedule. You can have a good first two months, and that's awesome, and you're 10 points in front of the pack, and then injuries and lack of depth or whatever it is, and you start sliding back, and you're like, uh oh, yeah. And so I, the West is going to be. It's going to be really interesting again this year. Let's wrap up headlines with one fun one. I, I mean, there, you, you always have some fun with John Tortorella. Um, <laughs> but last week decided that, look, you know, and, and I can understand, you know, how many times do you see the isolation camera in a replay and you see the players on a bench and the first thing they do is reach back, grab the iPad, the tablet, right? And they want to see what just happened or more importantly, what didn't happen. You know, was there a mistake that they made? Whatever. We see it all the time. What obviously annoys Torts because he doesn't think they're focused enough in Philadelphia. So he bans the iPads from the players on the bench. He needs them to stay focused and doesn't give a rat's you know what about what the perception is of, of himself and how we or, or others respond. How would that go over, do you think, among today's players? Because the tablet, the iPads have been around for a handful of years now. They're mm-hmm. not new, and players like having that that instant and immediate reflection and analysis. Yeah, okay, so that's fine. So like a lot of things Torts does, he he kills an ant with a sledgehammer, right? Like there's, there's yeah. once he takes them off the bench, like, does he really need to say, I don't give a shit what you guys think about the iPads? Like, does he really need to say that? <laughs> and there it goes yeah, viral again, right? Which, of course, he doesn't care because he goes back to his horse farm and <laughs> cleans out horse crap for the next day and then goes back and coaches practice. I mean, that's his life, really. Rink, farm, rink. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. So I'm between the benches a lot. I'm watching the players. There'll be a shift, Dregs, where nothing yeah. happens. Like, it's just one of those ping pong shifts. Guys come back, they grab the iPad and they're watching it. I'm like, what the hell could they be watching? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> watch the game. There's nothing to watch. And so I do, I do see why coaches think these things become a security blanket and a distraction because it's not like they're viewing a chance or a mistake all the time. Sometimes they're watching TV. Yeah. I heard this great story one time. Uh, 
John Cooper was talking about Pat Maroon. And you know, those two guys have a really good relationship back oh, yeah. a lot of years. Yeah. So this game was this game was going on and it, it was at a point where Maroon wasn't going to play anymore or play very much, you know, down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cooper looks over and Maroon's got an iPad. And he's like, what are you doing? He's got the tablet. He's watching something. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, it's kind of occupying time. <laughs> like, he had nothing to do. He wasn't going to play. He was just watching somebody shifts. And then Cooper said he laughed and he, and he's like, eh, oh, whatever. You know, so but I do, I do think the players would probably be agitated yeah. for about the first day and a half. And then once you don't have it, watch the game. Try, mm-hmm. like, you can still talk to the coaches. Right. You can still ask. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Where I do think it's very helpful. A goal would go in when I played, we'd go back to the bench and everybody would be on the bench. Like what happened there? And there was this one guy we used to call him. I got my man. And so the guy would always say, I, I don't even know how that went in the net. I had my guy in the corner. Oh, you did. Did you? Every time you had your guy in the corner and it was all us idiots. So, um, uh, I think it's really helpful to go, okay, man, I should have been over there or I could have come and help here or like, that's where it's helpful. But when you just watch your shift, like you're watching TV, there's a game going on in front of you. Watch, maybe you'll learn something about what's happened on the ice in the moment while you're watching because you're not doing both. One other thing, you should see those guys handle the iPads. They must have some insurance on those things. Oh, is that right? They're, Throwing they're them not, and well, they're not delicately placed back in that little catch-all. The guy's in a hurry and bang, they're slapped slammed around. I'm like that <laughs> pretty is an interesting observation. So that's going to be part of my responsibility at some point this season. Who's got the most iPad abuse of any team in the NHL? I, I can't imagine that you could probably go through and go. I could see that guy smashing that iPad on the or that tablet on the floor. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> I think you could find that. That's headlines. Thanks again to Boston Pizza. Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out-of-home, and everything in between, they have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net. New week here on the Ray and Driggs Hockey Podcast, and that means our first visit of the week with Chris Abbott, brought to you by Botano.ca, now available in Ontario. Remember the tagline, Botano, the game starts now. Our game of the weekend, wildcard weekend, was Dallas and Tampa Bay, and I know you guys are going to have some fun at my expense coming up here in just a minute, but man, as, as expected, Abs, you were active on the gambling scene as you should be i mean that's what you do but take us back to the baltimore cincinnati game late sunday night the bengals win this thing but you literally were watching what like play by play by play especially late in the second half yeah you know when you when you make a bet it certainly changes the way you watch the game right you're not cheering like a buddy of mine is a big bengals fan so he was i'm sure just happy with the outcome okay so I'm sitting there before the game starts. I've got no bet on there. I look at the line. The Bengals are an eight-point favorite. 
So I text my buddy who, you know, we usually go back and forth with. And I'm like, Cincinnati crushes them without Lamar, right? He goes, well, I don't know. You know, their defense is pretty good. Eight's a lot. I'm like, okay, well, okay. All right. I'm like, what did you do? He said, I played under 42 or something like that. Because the total in that game moved a lot during the week. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I look at what's in front of me and I go, okay, I'll take the Bengals. I, I went Ray Ferrero on this one. I took the Bengals. I moved them down to minus three. And I take the total and I make it 46 and I take the under. So, you know, we're watching and it starts out really well. It's low scoring. You know, Baltimore scores early, I think made it 9-7. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's still still pretty good. I think it was around that score at half. And anyway, we get into the third and, and all of a sudden it's 17-17. And I, now you start doing the math, right? I'm like, well, in order for this to be minus three and stay under 46, like we can't have many more points, but I need Cincinnati to score Anyway, I know here it goes, 17-17 early in the fourth. Baltimore's coming down the field. They got a a quarterback sneak at the goal line. He's going up. I'm like, that's it. It's over. And the ball comes out. And not only does Cincinnati get it, they run it all the way back. So now they're up 24-17. Absolute miracle. Honestly, I wish they didn't run it back and it stayed 17-17 a little bit longer. But, hey, that's the situation. Then with 11 minutes left, I'm doing the math. I'm like, that's 41 points, 24-17. I can't have anything else here. Maybe a Cincinnati field goal, even a Baltimore field goal, but they're not going to kick a field goal. So every play, I'm like, (laughs) okay, run it run it, stay in bounds, run it, no incomplete pass. Okay, punt. You know, and I'm like playing this game script out in my ma- out in my mind and, awesome. and we get there. It ends 24-17. But that's the entertainment we talk about when we're uh, when we're talking about betting on this stuff. It was good. It got there. So that was a happy ending. Abs, how about if you had Dallas last night and that kicker keeps missing the extra points? You're like, would <laughs> oh, you man. stop it? Just just it was unbelievable. It through the unbelievable. I mean, the NFL usually gives us that situation where Tom Brady comes back and then Brett Maher has to come out and he has to hit a kick to win the game, right? That's what happens normally. It never made it there, but I was convinced that's what was going to happen. So much so that I even put a little bit on Tampa Bay plus 14 and a half at the half because I was like, well, you know, it is still Brady. And actually, he was throwing the ball pretty well. I think he was, his protection let him down a little bit last night. But yeah, he certainly isn't isn't the same guy he once was. It's funny where, you know, I'm reading, I was on a flight coming home yesterday and I'm reading, you know, through Twitter and try, you know, keep it up on the game and stuff. And I'm like, it's amazing how many people say Brady's not what he used to be, but not like how you just did. It's like, they're almost angry at it. And you're like, yeah, the guy's 45. Like, do you think he was going to throw the ball and move around? Like he was 31. Ask as you go to your job today, Ask yourself at age 45, do you feel the way you did at 31? Then think about the number of times you had a bunch of 300-pound guys land on top of you. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, and to be honest with you, when you watch the game, and, and listen, I had money on Dallas as well, and then my pick for our contest was a Zeke touchdown. Yeah. He got to the one-yard line, got stuffed, but I'm not bitter about it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, good. I like how you hide it, though. <laughs> but yeah i mean listen honestly brady wasn't i don't think brady was the reason they lost that game last night not at all i mean he got out there he made throws he had over 50 pass attempts they got down early they couldn't run the ball and then you know that played into dallas's hands and dallas's defense all over the field was phenomenal last night so i think he comes back i think Mm. he, he might go to a different team but i think he comes back he might go to a contender and we might be having this conversation next year that can you believe what he's doing at 46 well one of these one of these years it's going to be well not one of these years there's not many left but remember when montana finally got to the end and he couldn't throw the ball out of his shadow but he was still joe montana yeah and they want to say they went pretty deep 
in it, you know, as he got right to the end. And I'm like, it can be done. I mean, it's got to be almost the perfect circumstance. I'll say one other thing. When that fumble happened in the Dallas or in the Baltimore game, is there anything better than a large man running 90 yards? Because, you know, <laughs> that must look like the Sahara Desert in front of him. And he's excited and he's like, oh, my God, I'm still at the 50. I'm I never go- getting there. <laughs> go back. Go back and watch the replay. There is something better. It's the 60-year-old judge on the field trying to keep up with him. That's hilarious. Because a buddy of mine says the NFL is the only sport that has, you know, millions and millions of dollars going into these players and old men like part-time on the weekends doing the officiating. Like if you look at an NHL official, they have to pass these baseline physical tests. Mm -hmm. These guys are phenomenal athletes. Um, Baseball and the NFL, not so much. Funny how it looks. All right. Well, the updated NFL picks to date, we've got Ray at 10 and 6. Mm. Uh, Chris, you're at 6 and 10. That's mm-hmm. a good try there, Chris. 7 and 9 for, for me. And and it gets more complicated. We're not going to look at what's coming up here end of the week. Uh, we'll do that on Thursday. But obviously, it's getting a little tighter. Who picks Who picks on Thursday, by the way? I did a terrible job. Well, for myself, it worked out a little. Well, I, I can pick the game if you want. Like, okay. You know, I, I can yeah. pick the game. and. Um, you know, like like Yogi Berra once said, it gets late early. <laughs> well, it's all about it's all about perspective, boys. If you go six for sixteen in Major League Baseball, you're having a great career. Yeah, Hall we're not playing ah. baseball though. Abs, come on, <laughs> come on! I gotta try. I gotta try. <laughs> all right, Chris, have a good week, and we'll check back on Thursday. Hey, thanks, guys. Talk soon. All right, time for Ask Ray and Driggs Anything. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Ray and Driggs or on the website, rayandriggs.com. Ask Ray and Driggs Anything is presented by Doer, the world's most comfortable pants for men and women. Remember, use code RND15 and you will save 15% off everything at doer.ca. We're going to the website, right? We're going to the oh, website yeah. first. This one is from Quentin from Calgary. How much non-hockey information gathering do teams do on players on other teams? When they are looking at acquiring a player, do they investigate into maybe substance issues, trouble with the wife, the coach, teammates? This can have a huge impact and effect on player performance and would seem like important information when evaluating the risk on a player. So I'll just answer a bit of this and then and then you jump off because... This is one of the curious things that has developed in my professional life over the last two plus decades, right? The relationships that I've made with coaches, with managers who were former players that have made it up through the ranks. And on occasion, I will get a call or a question about, hey, you know, is there anything we're looking at this guy, player X? Is there anything we need to be aware of? Right. And it never gets into the specifics of that, but really that's why they're asking, right? You know, they can analyze and they can look at at the scouting side of things and, you know, determine whether he's going to be a good fit from a playing perspective. They want to make sure, especially if this player has been on like three, four, five teams to this point in his career, short-term stays, you know, is there something that, you know, we don't want to miss? So it doesn't happen often, but I do get that from time and- to time. And if you're getting a call, they're calling five other people too. For sure. So the answer is yes. They they try and I think paint as complete a picture as they can. I mean, I don't I don't think teams are hiring private investigators to follow a guy around, but the hockey world's pretty small. Just like if you're in baseball, the baseball world's pretty small. Somebody always knows somebody that knows somebody, and um, sure. you could 
easily ask around and do a little research. It's not, it's not just, you know, what they see. It's, you know, trying, you know, will that guy fit in? Well, like, yeah. I'll give you an yeah. example. The Bruins have lost five games this year. Do you think they're going to add a player to that? What is in, appears to be an incredibly tight locker room without doing some research to make sure that player is going to fit in? Right. And the answer is, of course, they are. Or they should. And yeah. I think, and I think they do. All right. Twitter question, right? From RJ Williams, RJ underscore W27. What's the panic index of Pasternak not having a contract yet for next season? I don't think it's very high. I don't who's think the pan- panic who's panicking? Index. Who's panicking? Yeah. Well, I guess that's what he's asking. It isn't David. For Pasternak, zero. <laughs> Every time he shoots one in the net, a cash register goes off somewhere. Uh, for the Bruins, I, they're in a tough spot here because they, you know, they've, they've long had an internal cap. Mm-hmm. They've had it forever, way back to Ray Bork. Ray Bork, when there was no salary cap, Ray Bork was the salary cap. Yeah. And uh, they just decided at that point, we're not paying anyone more than Ray Bork. And that's just the way it is. And so, but the Bruins, they can try and say, you know, we want Charlie McAvoy to be at the top end of it. No chance. Mm-hmm. David Pasternak's the top end of your salary cap. And that's an expensive ticket. And I, I would suspect that, you know, there's zero urgency right now to it because, you know, there's lots of free agents you read about and hear about that if they can't get a deal done by the deadline, they're going to move them. They're not doing that with Pasternak. No, no, no. You know, that's, that's just not going to happen. So if they can't get a deal done by the deadline, then they've got till uh, June 15th, more or less. And so it that, just gets more expensive. That's all. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. He is the present and he is the future. All right. From Tyler from Thunder Bay, what's the right player for the Toronto Maple Leafs ready to acquire at the deadline? Like winger, defense? It's really interesting because defensively, they've been quite remarkable this year with a defense that has been patchwork <laughs> for a lot of the year with the injuries that they have. I, I don't think they could go wrong with another defenseman, but it does feel like they could use another forward. You know, Kelly Yarncroke's yeah. done a terrific job in that spot with Tavares and, and uh, Marner. That if feels you could like move him down into the bottom six, though. Oh, if you move you're, him, you're in a just good think spot. if you move him down, Drake's, yeah, how much deeper that is. And that's probably the spot that he'd Agreed. be most effective at. Are you comfortable with David Kampf as your third line center? And Holmberg as your fourth line center. Because if yeah. you aren't, then maybe you add a centerman and bump one, you know, and bump Kampf down. Right. So feels like a forward probably will attempt to add both, but it's tricky because the assets that they have don't open up the door for, you know, for a lot coming back. Like, do they want to trade that first round pick? Probably not. Probably do- not. No. Do they want to trade Matthew Nyes? No. No. They don't want to do that. And they'll sign him once his, his college season right. ends, right? So. It, let me give a little caution to to the excitable Leaf Nation is that when he does sign and he's 20, yeah, and you think that, oh, you know, maybe he could play in a second-line role, and maybe he can. Yeah. But, wow, it's a pretty small list of guys that have come out of college and be able to snap in that quick to a team going deep. It, ha- it has happened, for sure. You could yeah. probably come up with a half a dozen examples, but I could give you twice that in guys that need a little time. Two quick ones to wrap up Ask Grand Riggs. From Jason on Instagram, Ray, do you use a tablet or do you just keep handwritten notes? 
between the benches? Uh, always handwritten. What I found is when I type stuff, I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, when I write it, it's more a memory exercise. It's funny. I've got one page of a legal size paper, front and back, one team on one side, one team on the other. I've got the lineups, the stats, and maybe a note or two on each player's and note on on how the team's playing and where they play next, stuff like that. Mm. I would say I look at it three to five times a game. Like I, I write it yeah. and then I remember yeah. it and then it's right there in case I need it. It's like uh, Linus's security blanket on peanuts. But um, <laughs> most of the time, Just, I never even look at it. No, but it's nice to know it's there if you need it in a picture. Let me tell you what, Joe Micheletti did this to me one time. I know we got to go, Dregs. Yeah, We're both between the benches. And Joe is a sneaky, tricky fella. So <laughs> I've got to jump on the ice to do a pregame interview. Right, uh, The lights go down right before the anthem. I, I do the interview. This. I come back and my notes are gone. And I'm like, where are they? And Joe's talking on his talk back and he's doing his thing. And so now I'm That's looking on. dirty. The, well, I'm looking on the ice, Drakes, because <laughs> my I notes are in, they're in plastic. They're in a plastic, <laughs> like a page protector. I'm like, oh my gosh, if those things land on the ice and somebody steps on it, they're going to break their leg. So now I'm in a full panic. So I'm leaning over the bench. It's kind of dark. I'm looking around. I turn around and Joe's holding my notes. <laughs> Did you give him the old snake bite because that or the pinch that oh, no, used to uh, do that to me? Punch all in the, the shoulder. Time. Yeah, punch in the shoulder. Jeez. Yes. I pinch is a from, good one. Yeah, I'd come home from trips with you and I'd have these like black and blue marks all over my arms and legs. And well, why do you Holly, think like, those, what are you doing? What do you think that why do people think that happened? It had nothing to do with me. This was just you being of course master. not. Of course not. <laughs> so here's a good friend Brian Mudrick is trying to put oh, me boy. on the spot here. And I did not see this question on, on Twitter, but apparently he sent out a response. Who is Greg's favorite curler? <laughs> right? Who is it? And why? Well, automatically. So now I'm looking down at all the replies to Muddy because Muddy is big on the curling circle. Yes, he right? is. Like he calls a great NHL game, but in that curling circle, man, he is like Mick Jagger. He's a rock star. He really, truly is. So the responses to this were were interesting. I'm um, one of them from Sherry Madaw. Familiar with Sherry Madaw, Wayne Madaw, good friends of ours. Uh, and Sherry responds, answer very, very carefully, Darren. <laughs> and Sherry, <laughs> like, I mean, she's Hall of Fame material on, on the women's circuit. So now what do you do? About that. And, I've, and we've socialized with the Madaws. So this is challenging. So I'm quickly going to say Sandra Schmerler, God rest her soul, because she was so impactful, did so many great things on the Canadian scene charity-wise. Sandra would be one. Sherry would be two. Russ Howard would be three. Ed Wernick would be four. The wrench. The wrench would be four. Good for you. And waffling. Jennifer Jones is still such a, a force. So there you go, Muddy. He didn't think I'd be able to answer the question, right? Okay, I got a question for you. Answer it. Yeah. How are you as a curler? A uh, bit of a story there, and I won't take oh, up too geez. much time. It, it, what, it is. Did, it did, is. You so, injure, did you injure your low back? No. In Saskatchewan, rural Saskatchewan, curling was actually a part of the phys ed class. So every week you'd go down to the local curling rink in Langeburg, Saskatchewan, we'd curl. So I curled a lot. I mean, I played hockey and I curled. I probably curled more than I played hockey just because of the season. 
Anyway, as I'm wrapping up my hockey career at a very young age, and it's become apparent I'm not going to be a, a fit on a, even a junior, like a tier two team. I was so offended. As I got a letter from a, an SJHL team asking if I wanted to come and try out. And I didn't really want to. My brother's like, no, no, you have to. You should go. And it was like a $60, $70 fee, right, to go in there. Mm. Well, I look at it, and there's like 80 players that have been invited to this camp. So it was a fundraiser. So I was like, forget it. I'm not doing that. And I started focusing on curling. And actually, uh, I was okay, right? Went to several provincial championships. Went to summer games awesome. or winter games, I should say. So there you go. For those listening in the States and they don't get it, curling has yeah. uh, long been a you know a deep connection into, oh, into yeah. the Canadian way, for sure. Love it. More out west, I would say, than in the east, correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I know Muddy's going to come after me because I didn't mention Rachel Holman. I didn't mention some of the, you know, but Colleen you Jones. Have, I mean, it's like, who's, who's the best yeah. five players in the NHL? You can't. I know. Without I know. leaving But people. that's, he's setting me up because he wants the curling world, including my, what is she, 84-year-old mother just come traipsing after me from Saskatchewan. So that's what he's. <laughs> All right, buddy. What's the week look like? Uh. In Edmonton on Thursday for uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Lightning starting to get in that roll a bit. I think they're 27 13 and one or two right now. Yeah. And then uh, we'll have uh, Johnny Goudreau's return to, to Calgary. So I'm that'll be a good sure one. That'll be interesting that'll be as Columbus one. brings whoever they got left. Man, those guys have just been crushed with injuries. So, so those are my games this week. Good. All right. We've got, uh, you? yeah, well, we've got Toronto Winnipeg on Thursday. So that'll year. be a good one in Toronto. By the way, podcast, we've got Kevin Adams, general manager for the Buffalo Sabres is going to join us on Thursday as, as well to talk about, I don't know. You know I mean, so how the season obviously has gone to this point, maybe a bit of a forecast from Buffalo's. You know what? I want to ask him a bit, get a little sense of the connection. Cause it seems strong between between teams in the in the Buffalo area, the Bills, the, mm. you know, the Sabers, the you know, not just the Hamlin injury, but yeah, all yeah. through all through the season, you see, you see, it's quite significant. And I know the Pagulas own both teams, but that's not it. It's there's something else there. So I'm yeah. interested in that. Nah, he's a fun guy to talk to, right? And I mean, he'll have some playing stories as well. So Kevin Adams of the Buffalo Sabers joining us on the podcast on Thursday. All right, buddy. Travel safe. Have a great week, and we'll reconnect in that episode, episode 34. On yep. Thursday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks to our partners who make the podcast possible. Our title sponsor, Canadian Club, who ask, are you over beer? By Boston Pizza, pick it up or get it delivered to your door. Let Boston Pizza do your cooking tonight. Batano.ca, it is available now in Ontario. The game starts now, says Batano. And by Doer, check them out on the website, doer.ca. And if you use code RND15, you are going to save 15% off everything in stock. That is another episode of the Rain Drakes podcast. Until Thursday, stay safe, everybody. 